0: Hey, Voices of a Killer fans, Toby here to talk about an exciting podcast that you might like. If our journey into the minds behind the bars has captivated you, then you'll find Prison Pod equally gripping. It's a podcast that delves deep into the lives affected by incarceration, offering firsthand stories from those on both sides of the cell. Available on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon, Prison Pod broadens the conversation around the impacts of jail and prison. Search for Prison Pod wherever you get your podcasts to listen to the real stories of those living a life defined by bars.
1: In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer.
2: That's stamps.com. Code program.
0: Before we begin this podcast, please be advised that the following episode contains language that some listeners may find offensive and
2: inappropriate. The opinions expressed by the host and guests are their own and do not reflect the views of the podcast producers. Listener discretion is advised.
0: What was the date of the wedding supposed to be?
3: It was supposed to be on April 17th of 2010.
0: How was she killed?
3: How no, she was shot. She was murdered in the morning. Uh, the time of death was never pinned down directly.
0: Most people don't know who they can just turn to to get somebody whacked.
3: She had a guy that would almost do anything for her. He was head over heels for her.
0: Do you have an idea who?
3: I thought I had an idea, but they said he had an alibi. I was crying. I was crying, of course. I was just... Some of it I don't even remember because I just went crazy. They said I went crazy trying to get into the house. My God, if I could go back and change everything, Toby, I would I feel horrible.
0: You are now listening to the podcast Voices of a Killer. I'm bringing you the stories from the perspective of the people that have taken the life of another human and their current situation thereafter in prison. You will see that although these are the folks that we have been programmed to hate, They all have something in common. They are all humans like us that admit that they made a mistake. Will you forgive them or will you condemn them? They are currently serving time for their murders and they give us an inside glimpse of what took place when they killed and their feelings on the matter now. Here are the voices of those who have killed. On this episode of Voices of a Killer, we speak to Calvin Dwayne Petty from Bowling Green, Missouri. Calvin was involved in a tragic story that reads like a modern-day tragedy, finding love, building a family, but haunted by personal demons and infidelities that cast a shadow over his relationships. In a chilling tale of love and betrayal, his fiancée Sandra Fugate's life was cut short just two days before she was set to walk down the aisle. Once deeply in love and excited to begin a new chapter of life, she became the victim of a crime that shattered her family and community. But how was it that Calvin ended up behind bars? The circumstances surrounding this murder led investigators on a complex journey, sifting through puzzling evidence and navigating conflicting alibis, and eventually, Calvin was betrayed. The betrayal didn't come from a random stranger, it was someone he knew and trusted, and to this day Calvin maintains his innocence. Join us now as we interview Calvin and explore this complex, dark, and tragic tale on Voices of a Killer. So, Calvin, where are you from?
3: Uh, I was born and raised in Bowling Green, Missouri.
0: Bowling Green, Missouri. Did you uh, grow up there all your life?
3: Yes, I, grew, I, was, I was born there. I, I grew up there until I think I left there in my late teens, early 20s.
0: Did you have a rough upbringing, or how was your childhood?
3: My childhood was good. Uh, my mom and my biological father. When I was three, yeah. um, so I really, didn't, really wasn't close to my biological father. My mom remarried when I was five and my stepdad to me was my dad. He's the one that was there for me all the time. Of course, he died when I was 16, which was rough on me. As far as I was concerned, my stepdad was my dad.
0: Yeah. What happened to your dad?
3: He passed away. He had several health problems. He had diabetes. He had several heart attacks. He actually ended up dying of pneumonia, but it was just from complications from diabetes and all that. He had both of his legs amputated below the knee.
0: Were you uh, close to him?
3: Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I was very
0: close. Was that rough on you?
3: Oh yeah, I started drinking when I was thirteen, which was just kind of here and there. But when after he died, I started drinking pretty heavy.
0: How old were you whenever he died? I was sixteen. Yeah, that'd probably be a tough time. Yeah. Your mom was already divorced from him?
3: Oh no, she she was with him at the time. That was my stepdad, my my biological father. She divorced him when I was three.
0: Yeah, that's who I was talking about. Your your biological father. Do you have a relationship with him?
3: Oh, oh no, I knew it, but i name I never called him dad I called him Gene that's what his name was yeah uh, his wife was not, it was not a close relationship at all
0: what did you do after you you grew up got out of your parents house what did you do for a living
3: I went into the army for a little while and uh that was just a time of my life I wish I could forget I don't I don't talk about it very much uh I mean I, I mean I, I when I got out of that I I, I, I married I got with my ex, my ex-wife Kim she already had two kids when we got together you know, I love them like they was my own. I mean, I still do. We dated for three, four years, and then we finally got married in 94.
0: How we old were you? We had a
3: son, uh, 26, I believe. Yeah. 25, 26 years old. When we, when we got married, we was we was together for a couple, several years before that. Okay. We we had a son together in 98, uh, and then we divorced in 2003. And then, like I said, we, we really don't get along very well anymore. Of course, you know, ex-wives, so...
0: Calvin's story reads like a ballad, tinged with love, loss, and the harshest lessons of reality. As a child, he witnessed the breakup of his biological parents at the tender age of three, a parting that left a void. But life threw him a lifeline in the form of a stepdad, his real dad in every sense. But this rock in Calvin's life crumbled abruptly when he died of pneumonia. That loss led Calvin to an early acquaintance with alcohol a coping mechanism that started when he was just 13 and spiraled after his stepdad's death. Calvin's later years seemed almost scripted for heartbreak and turbulence. He enlisted in the army and married in 94 to a woman who brought along two children from a previous relationship. Calvin embraced them as his own, a ready-made family he cherished. They even added a son to the mix in 1998, a glimmer of fresh beginnings. But fate had other plans. The couple divorced in 2003 meaning Calvin was left heartbroken once again but as he moved forward with his life Calvin found love in a new relationship six years later with the introduction of the victim in this case Sandra Fugate After y'all got a divorce did you meet Sandra Fugate somewhere
3: you know, I actually met her it was several years later I mean it was in 2009
0: How did y'all meet
3: uh, we worked together we worked at the same place in an Hannibal General Mill what kind of work Uh, It's a food manufacturing facility.
0: How long did it take for y'all to have an attraction for each other?
3: Oh, I mean, it was, uh, we just hooked up a couple of times. And then uh, after that, we started dating. I mean, it did happen pretty quick. We moved in together in 2009. And then in 2010, we planned on getting married.
0: Did you propose to her? Yes, I did. Tell me about how you proposed to her.
3: Well, it's weird because she wanted to play a joke on somebody. So we had a, she borrowed a wedding ring, an engagement ring from a friend of hers. And she started wearing it. And, uh. She uh, one day she just happened to wear it to work, and uh, everybody seen it. Everybody started talking about it, and uh, she wanted it as a joke. And then one night I looked at her and I said, "You know what?" I said, "Let's just not make this a joke no more. I said, uh, "Would you marry me?" She was shocked and just looked at me for a second. And then she said, "Yes." So it was well, it, we, it was, wasn't really nothing real romantic about it. Right.
0: But it was, but it, was it. it was cute though.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean it, it was cute, and she you know she said yes. So uh, we started making plans to get married. So okay. Uh, it was, it was kind
0: of weird. Did you live together? Yeah. So that night, after you proposed, y'all are probably at home, and the discussion's probably what are we going to do for the wedding? What was that discussion like? What were y'all planning for the wedding?
3: I wanted an outdoor wedding. She wanted an indoor wedding. So, of course, you know, she won because I was, I was going to give in to her no matter what. You know, I was going to give her whatever she wanted. We, are, we already had the church picked out. She wanted she wanted to wear a white dress with a red in it, which, I mean, she did. She yeah. had already bought that. There was time that we would discuss maybe having a. Like I, said, I wanted, like I said, we was gonna do it. I wanted a big limousine go around town and holler and uh, honk, and of course she wanted to do that too. We already had the reception hall looked out. There was gonna be food. And we was make, she was making her making the music for the reception on her own. She was doing the CDs and everything. Like I said we was trying to keep the cost down, so we was gonna do the, just CDs and let people DJ for us. No, I was just—I I pretty much just gave in to whatever she wanted. It really didn't matter to me as long as she was happy with it. That's all that mattered to
0: me. How would you describe your relationship? Did you guys have friction? Was there turbulence? Was there like big fights? Cops called? Anything like that ever?
3: Oh no, we never had the cops called or nothing. I mean, we had arguments, but I mean, nothing—you know, nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, we about a little crazy crap, you know, nothing, nothing yeah. major.
0: Did y'all do drugs together?
3: No, neither one of us likes it. As far as I know, she never she drank, but she never did drugs. I only did drugs, you know, shortly after my dad died and my stepdad died. I tried marijuana and speed and didn't like even one of them. So I just, you know, I, I stuck with uh, drinking and I never did drugs again.
0: Yeah. Were y'all pretty heavily in love, or do you think you were just going through the motions or what?
3: Oh, well, yeah, we were definitely in love. You know, we uh, we were supposed to get married and we were going to have a honeymoon in Cancun. Yeah. We were even talking about having a baby. Yeah. That wasn't, we discussed it. It wasn't, you know, a final thing that we was actually going to do it. We were just talking about having a child together because she already had, she already had a daughter by a previous marriage, Hannah. So but we had discussed having a baby of our own.
0: Yeah. How would you describe your fiancee, I guess at the time, Sandra Fugate, how would you describe her?
3: Oh, she had a hard goal. She was just, she, she would do anything. She tried to help anybody out if she could. She was fun to be around. She was just all around, good person. She was a great mother. She got along with her ex-husband real good. She got along with her in-laws. She still got along with her in-laws. I didn't know anybody that didn't like her. She was just adorable.
0: Anybody uh, in her family that didn't approve of you, you know, before uh, she passed
3: not, away? Not, not, not that I'm aware of. I mean, there wasn't.
0: I'm, yeah. If Sandra was still here today and I asked her that same question, but asking about you, Calvin, what, what do you think she would say?
3: She would say that I was uh, a nice guy. I was helpful to a certain extent, but I've always had trust issues. I wasn't as outgoing as she was, and I don't socialize a lot. I, I kind of keep to myself. She brought me out of that show a lot. Cause she had a lot of friends. She, was, she liked she like going out with.
0: When you say trust I mean, issues, I, do you mean like you would get jealous of her?
3: Oh no, I wasn't jealous. I mean, it was just it was trust issues as far as like you know trusting other people around us. Like her, I trusted her fully. It's just there were just certain people that. She hung out with, or some of them that I didn't trust. I, I told her I, I didn't trust them, and like I said, that was that was my issue. I wasn't gonna try to stop her from being around her friends. Yeah, it was just something that I, I just had trust issues because I got burned by, by my ex-wife was her cheating on me, and of course I cheated on her too for revenge. But
0: did you ever cheat on Sandra?
3: And yeah, I was cheating on Sandra when it happened.
0: Calvin and Sandra's chemistry was immediate and magnetic, sparking so quickly that they moved in together the same year they met, two thousand and nine now co-workers and housemates they were with each other all the time and calvin popped the question in a spontaneous proposal that began as a joke and ended in an earnest i do's they weren't the stuff of fairy tales but they were a match and dreaming of wedding bells white dresses trimmed in red and stretch limousine to celebrate their love sandra already had a daughter hannah and the possibility of extending their family was discussed earnestly According to friends and family, this made Sandra so happy she would even post the countdown to how much time she led left until her big day on her Facebook timeline. They planned their wedding together with every decision underscored by Calvin's simple mantra, as long as she was happy with it, that's all that mattered to me. When they were putting the list together, Calvin decided to reach out to people from his past, his ex-wife, old school friends to add to the list. A few weeks after proposing, Calvin left town for a bowling competition and on his return, his enthusiasm dimmed. Mary Patterson, Sandra's mother, said in an interview that Sandra knew he was getting cold feet at this point. This was the first warning sign of a rocky relationship. Calvin, still battling trust issues born from a past tainted by infidelity, would ironically become the unfaithful one in this relationship. Yes, I was cheating on Sandra when it happened, he admits. A confession that hangs in the air like a discordant note. While he spoke highly of Sandra's unwavering trustworthiness, he himself could not offer the same loyalty. Calvin attributes his inability to trust to past experiences, yet that explanation feels insufficient, almost like a flimsy excuse for his actions. So who was the person that Calvin met while pretending to be away bowling? So Calvin, sometime. During your relationship with uh, Sandra, you actually formed another relationship with a Rebecca Kirk. Whenever you yes. proposed to Sandra, were you seeing Rebecca at the time? No, I was not. Where did you meet Rebecca?
3: I'd actually known Rebecca for years. I knew her back in high school. Uh, we dated back in high school. Then I was on Facebook one night, and she just popped up on Facebook and found me on Facebook. And we started talking through Facebook, and then we met one night. And one thing led to another.
0: How long after she first gets on Facebook to y'all meeting up? How long did that take?
3: I think it was like two or three weeks, I think.
0: And this two or three weeks, where did that sit in reference to when you proposed? How long after that?
3: No, oh, I, I proposed back, I proposed to Sandra back in summer of 2009, and this was in like February of 2010.
0: What was that like hiding that from Sandra, knowing that you're fixing to marry her?
3: history of cheating on every woman that I've ever cared about. And then I finally told Rebecca, I said, look, when I get married, I said, this is over. The first thing Rebecca said was, we'll see.
0: How often would y'all meet up to have sex?
3: Oh, maybe once a week, twice a week sometimes. You know, there'd be times maybe you go two or three
0: weeks without it. Did you still work with Sandra at the time? Yeah. How would you get away with that? Because you're working together and you go home together. How would you slip away like that?
3: We worked at the same place. We didn't actually work together because I worked day shift and she worked night shift.
0: Okay, so while she we, was we working, okay, worked. I get it. So y'all didn't actually yeah, work we, the same. We
3: both, we, we both worked in the same department, but I worked, You worked from 6 at night till 6 in the morning.
0: Would you have Rebecca over to your house whenever she was working? She came
3: over to the house, I think twice. Wow. And was, and we, just, we just went somewhere else.
0: Yeah. So how did Rebecca feel about Sandra? Was she really jealous uh, of her? Uh,
3: she, she had never met her, but uh, she definitely wanted me to leave Sandra to be with her. But you, I told her that wasn't going to happen.
0: Did you ever tell Rebecca that you loved her?
3: I think I, had, I think I did a couple times, told her that I loved her, Yeah. but I, oh, I think it was mainly in the heat of the, heat of the moment, because I was definitely in love with Sandra,
0: Yeah. for sure. Sure. Did Rebecca ever say anything about harming Sandra at all?
3: She made comments. She never really came right out and said harming her. I never really put it together, but I know one time she said, said something about, this would be a lot easier if Sandra was out of the way, and then... The, when I told her that, I said that, you know, that when me and Sandra get married, you know, this, this is going to end. I mean, there's, there's, there's not going to be no more of this. And then she made a comment, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Right. And I never, even, I never even put that together either.
0: Through reaching out to old contacts via Facebook, Calvin reconnected with his high school girlfriend, Rebecca Kirk. A couple of weeks of chatting led to a real-world rendezvous, opening a Pandora's box of secrets and guilt. In spite of this guilt, he continued his clandestine relationship with Rebecca, even as he planned a future with Sandra. Before the wedding, Calvin hurt his leg on a rafting trip, which meant a lot of doctor's trips. He was barely at work, and he was given medical leave that was approved by Sandra due to her position as a supervisor. This made co-workers jealous of Sandra due to her favoritism to Calvin. Sandra also worked night shifts at the company, which meant that Rebecca and Calvin could continue their illicit meetups undisturbed. Rebecca, aware of his engagement to Sandra, was insistent she wanted Calvin to leave Sandra for her. To this, Calvin could only say it wasn't going to happen. Calvin's narrative gives us a complex portrayal of a man torn between two worlds. On one hand, there's his relationship with Sandra, a relationship he describes as one filled with love and potential for a shared future. On the other hand, he has other life, one filled with secrecy betrayal and an almost pathological need for something else, something that perhaps he doesn't even understand. In Rebecca, Calvin found an escape, a way to exercise the ghosts of his past infidelities. But it was an escape that came at a high cost, and one has to wonder whether Calvin was perhaps subconsciously seeking a way out of this commitment he was about to make with Sandra. One comment loomed large in his mind. Rebecca mentioned how things would be a lot easier if Sandra was out of the way. And it was this comment that would come back to haunt him sooner than he could imagine. You never said anything like this better not be you, or are you up to this, or what's going on, or you just left that out of there? At the
3: time, I wasn't even thinking that. I mean, I was just, the only thing I was thinking about at the time was trying to get back to the house.
0: That, and more after the break. What was the date of the wedding supposed to be?
3: It was supposed to be on April 17th of 2010.
0: Y'all had planned that date together? So the beginning of April, you and Rebecca are still seeing each other as much as possible?
3: I don't know if it was as much as possible. Like I said, it was still, I mean, probably once a week maybe. Yeah. My wife wasn't as frequent because I was doing stuff with the the wedding and stuff. Yeah. And and Sandra was taking days off. I was with her a lot.
0: And then you said that the day that Sandra was murdered, you had a doctor's appointment?
3: Yes, I had a doctor's appointment in Columbia, which is like 90, approximately like 9,500 miles away from Hannibal.
0: What time was your doctor's appointment?
3: It was at, uh, I believe, 11 a.m., I believe.
0: What time of day was Sandra murdered?
3: She was she was murdered in the morning. Uh, the time of death was never pinned down directly.
0: So, is your alibi basically saying that you're at the doctor? Yeah. Did they have any kind of records of you being there, like the, at the doctor?
3: Yeah, they, they had me on video going in and coming out. At what time? In at 1031 and walked out at
0: 1201. Okay. But they think the murder occurred before that?
3: Did they think it 8 A.M. Yeah, is what it was what the, what the prosecutor said.
0: How was she killed?
3: No, she was shot.
0: So where was Rebecca the day that this murder occurred? She was with me. She went with you to the yeah. doctor, and she's on video with, at the doctor with you. Yes,
3: she went to the doctor with me. And so. I told her that morning, I said this would be the last day because after this, it was it was it was over with after that day.
0: So who do you think killed yeah. Sandra?
3: I don't know who. I don't. I have no idea who. I'm pretty sure she had somebody do it, but I can't. I can't prove that. I mean, I have, no, I have no
0: way of proving that. Do you and Rebecca still have a relationship right now? Oh, no. I haven't when, talked to her since that day. You haven't talked to Rebecca since the day of the murder? Yeah. You said Sandra was killed. Where was she shot?
3: Okay, she was at our house in the
0: basement. When she What's was shot. What's in the basement?
3: There's a little small living room area, which we never use hardly because of the washer and dryers down there also.
0: What do you think she was doing down there?
3: doing laundry because the police said that during the search they they found there was damn clothing down there, so I would assume she was probably doing laundry. Was
0: she shot in the head? She was shot three times
3: in the head and once in the upper torso, like underneath the I believe underneath the left arm. And they said that right there was what they called a kill shot. I mean, it, was like, it was like in the middle ribcage area. And they said it actually, when the bullet it actually went in at an upward angle.
0: Yeah, interesting.
3: Which is strange because the fact she's only five foot six and I'm
0: six foot four. So let me ask you: Your fiance's soon-to-be wife, in two days is shot in the basement of your home while you're at the doctor with the woman you're cheating on her with. When y'all get back home, do y'all discover the body, or do you discover the body?
3: No, uh, no her her mother actually discovered the body because I call because I'd been trying to call Sandra. Off and her, She's been having trouble with her phone. I've been trying to call her to find out if she'd got a hold of the tuxedos because we, she was supposed to. She stayed home so she could go get the tuxedos for my son.
0: So while you're at the doctor, you're basically calling her about this, and she's not answering. Yeah. Are you leaving voicemails?
3: I think I started around 9:30, somewhere along there. 9:30, 10 o'clock. So I was trying to call her to find out if she got the tuxedo yet, and I kept, and I never was getting an answer. Which I, I assumed it was just her phone messing up because her phone was acting crazy anyway. So I called her mom. Find out if she'd heard from her, and she said no. And then she said, Do you want me to go over and check on her? I said, I said if, you, if you want to, you can. I said, Just hit it. when you see her, just let me know. Just try to let her uh, tell me whether she's having tuxedos or not, because that's all I need to know. I said, Just so we know where they were to call my kids to let them know we're going to be up here for a fitting for them. And then pretty soon, her mom called back, and the only thing I could understand was blood, because she was frantic. Of course, finding your daughter dead, i going to do that to you.
0: Your soon to be mother in law called you to tell you the news? Yes. Were you sitting with Rebecca at that time?
3: We were in the car on the way home when she called, and I told her I said I was gonna. I told her I'd get there as soon as I could. So I mean, I, I heard up. I mean, I flew home, I dropped Rebecca off in Frankfurt, and then flew right up to 61 trying to get there as fast as I could.
0: Did you have a good relationship with your soon-to-be mother-in-law?
3: Yeah, I mean, I got a lot. She she worked at the same place we did.
0: What was the discussion like with you and Rebecca after you just got the news of your soon-to-be wife dead, and you're hanging up the phone with your mother-in-law? You're driving to drop her off. What's that discussion like? I just told her. She said, "Oh, yeah, really." And
3: that's all she said. I just looked at her, and uh, after that, I really wasn't talking a lot. I was just more worried about trying to get back to the house than I was anything. And I, when I pulled my back when I pulled up in her driveway, she got out. I didn't say really bye nothing. I just I backed up and took
0: off. On that drive, you never said anything like this. Better not be you, or did, are you up to this, or what's going on? Or you just left that out of there?
3: Yeah, I wasn't, no. Because I mean, I, I wasn't even at the time. I wasn't even thinking that. I mean, I was just. The only thing I was saying about the time was trying to get back
0: to the house. Murdered two days just before her wedding to Calvin, Sandra Fugate met a shocking and tragic fate. While Calvin denies any involvement in the murder, the entire narrative feels like a house of cards teetering on the edge of collapse. Surely it can't be this straightforward. On the day Sandra was murdered, Calvin maintains that he was at a doctor's appointment in Columbia, a location nearly 100 miles away from where the crime took place. The alibi seems to absolve him, at least in his view, since he and Rebecca were both seen at the clinic's video footage. When asked about his thoughts on who killed Sandra, he hesitates, but then suggests, I don't know who, I don't. I'm pretty sure she, Rebecca, had something to do with it. Even though the timelines could potentially clear him of direct involvement, questions persist. The tragic news of Sandra's death was delivered by her own frantic mother over the phone. At that moment, Calvin was in the car with Rebecca. The conversation that followed between Calvin and Rebecca was chillingly succinct. I just told her, I said, Sandra's been shot, Calvin recalls. And she said, oh yeah, really? And that's all she said. Calvin's account paints a complex and troubling picture. On one hand, he seems to be building a case against Rebecca, subtly suggesting that she might have had a role in Sandra's murder. He distanced himself from Rebecca, emphasizing he hasn't talked to her since that gruesome day. On the other hand, his own actions, his infidelity, his deception, and his inability to provide a straightforward alibi leaves room for doubt. I wanted to know how he reacted when he eventually arrived at the crime scene. So, you drop her off, you get back to the house, is there police there yet? Oh yeah,
3: there's police. There was a several police officers, I believe, in I don't think there was an ambulance there. I think the ambulance had already left. I don't remember seeing
0: an ambulance. What's your soon-to-be mother-in-law doing? Is she being talked to by the police? Is she yeah, being she consoled? Was, she was sitting
3: in the front seat of her car on the passenger side, and there was a police officer sitting there talking to her. So I just went I just went up to her and grabbed her and hugged her, and she said they won't let her live, she said they won't let her live, and they won't let nobody in the house. So that's when I tried to get into the house because I just wanted to see Sandra. And of course, they stopped me because of the crime scene. They're not going to let me in there. But I was the only, thing I wanted, I just wanted to see Sandra.
0: Were you pretty upset? Oh, yeah. You
3: know, I was crying. I was crying, of course. I was just, some of it I don't even remember because I just went crazy. As they said, I went crazy trying to get into the house. And...
0: So, how long did y'all stay at the house with the police all there? Did y'all just wait outside the entire time till they, you know, did all the crime scene stuff? Or did somebody approach you and say, hey, let's go have a talk? Walk me through that. I was
3: sitting there. Of course, I tried to get into the house several times. Then they, and then I sat down beside a vehicle. I'm not even sure which vehicle it was. And then one of the police officers came up to me. They wanted to do a GSI gunshot residue test. So they did that. And then I was in, another officer took me across the street into the neighbor's, across the street in the neighbor's driveway and was taking my statement.
0: How did the gunshot residue test come out? It was negative. Okay. So he took you across the street and what happened? He
3: just took my statement about where I'd been and what was I was doing that morning. and
0: Did he ask if anybody was with you? Did you say that Rebecca was with you?
3: No. I just kept it short and sweet. I mean, I was just, you know, he asked me what I was doing that morning. I told him I I got up around 7 or so to get ready to go to the doctor, made sure Hannah left for school, and then I left for the doctor's appointment.
0: Whenever this detective was interviewing you, do you feel like he was suspicious of you, the way he was looking and interacting with you?
3: I don't really recall. I mean, I I don't don't think so. Like I said, a a lot of that was kind of a blur. I mean, at the time, I really didn't think nothing of it. I mean, I, he didn't, he was
0: just kind of... Sure, because this early in the stage, literally, the mom, you, everybody's a suspect until they can rule everybody out. So, yeah. with that being said, Detective finishes questioning you. Where do you go after this? Do you stick around to see how everything turns out? When do you actually well, leave?
3: I stayed there for a little while, and then uh, they said something about trying to get me down to the police station. So a friend of mine. Head... is we got in his truck, and he sent me down to the to the police station. And then uh, I believe that's when I was interviewed by the actual detectives. The other was the, other, the one that, that had the crime scene. It was a really police officer they took my statement, not a detective. Okay. Then we went to the police station. Uh, and actually, I think the reason they got me out of there then because that's when they were was, they was getting ready to bring the body out, and they didn't want me there when that happened.
0: According to court documents, four shell casings were found on the floor of the basement of Sandra and Calvin's house. Sandra was shot twice in the head and twice in the chest with a .22 rifle, which suggested the result of a break-in gone wrong. However, the rest of the house was undisturbed, which suggested that the break-in was not real. Investigators tested everyone for evidence of gunpowder residue, including Sandra's mom, Sandra's ex, and Calvin. Sandra's mom explained she was watching her grandkids, and Sandra's ex claims he was at work, while Calvin gave his alibi about being at the doctor's. Each seemed like a good alibi, but each needed to be closely examined to find the truth. So, what was it like at the police station Did the detectives, like, sit you down and really corner you and ask you a bunch of questions?
3: Actually, I had a panic attack at the police station, so they took me to the hospital. Before I was questioned, they took me to the hospital, and then they got me calmed down at the hospital, and I went back to the police station.
0: Did they give you any drugs at the hospital?
3: Yes, I, I don't know what they gave me. I know they gave me something to calm me down.
0: Was it a shot?
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, I believe
0: so. From there, you went to the talk to the detective? Yes. Did you feel like you were intoxicated?
1: I, I don't know
3: if I was intoxicated. I, I, was, uh, I mean, I felt good. I mean, but I don't know that I was actually intoxicated.
0: So what was it I like being interviewed? Being Did they, do you feel like now that when they were interviewing you, they were ready to place the blame?
3: It seemed like maybe a little bit they were, but in mean, a situation like that, I mean, I was expecting it because my, my fiance just got murdered in our house, so I know I'm going to be the number one suspect right off the get-go. Who else are they going to look at? They're so always going to look at the, the closest person
0: to you and sure. I, I was it. So at the time that they're interviewing you now at the police station, do they know about Rebecca yet? No, they do not. Okay, so tell me a little bit about the interview. Would they I'm aware of. They just wanted to know where you were and how things were with you and Sandra?
3: Of the day. Of course, I told him I got ready. I got up around seven, got ready to go to the doctor, make sure Hannah got off to school. Then I left for the night, and then Sandra was laying on the couch. And then I kissed her goodbye, and I left. That was the last time I've seen her alive.
0: So, how long did that interview with the officers take, the detectives?
3: It wasn't very long, probably about a half hour, 45 minutes, maybe.
0: Yeah, that's not very long. Where did you go once you yeah. left there? They just say, hey, we're going to keep in touch, and where'd you go?
3: I went to my then nobody wanted me because I said I wasn't. I wasn't gonna go back to the house. Not after what happened there.
0: Did I you call Rebecca live. yet? No. Okay. So you go to your cousin's. What happens then?
3: I went there. They got a spare bedroom ready for me. And they just tried to get me to go to sleep. And I mean, I think I slept maybe an hour the whole night. And I actually, in the middle of the night, went in the living room and I was just sitting in the recliner. And my cousin got up the next morning. He asked me how much sleep I got, and I said maybe an hour.
0: During formal questioning with the police, Calvin collapsed, consumed with grief or perhaps guilt. He had a panic attack at the police station and was taken to a hospital. Doctors even prevented investigators from questioning him while he was there. Several hours later, Calvin was released from the hospital and could finally speak to detectives. They asked him who would have wanted to harm her. Could it have been one of her jealous co-workers? He had no leads for the police at the time, but little did he know that detectives had begun to dig deeper into the couple's history before the murder. The day after the murder police received the new tip saying police needed to speak to Rebecca Kirk, the high school girlfriend of Calvin. According to police documents, she was interrogated by detectives, at first denying everything. The more she talked, the more she stumbled, and soon investigators found she was hiding something. Finally, she broke down and confessed that her and Calvin had been having an affair about the same time that Sandra and Calvin had gotten engaged. She said Calvin told her that he had shot Sandra and told Rebecca to get rid of the gun for him. Rebecca still had the case for the gun and Calvin's fingerprints were all over it. At this point in time when you're at your cousin's house, what is going through your head on who you think would have done this? Because that's a pretty crazy act. to somebody go into someone else's house and, and gun them down so personally with multiple shots to the head, the body, yeah. what, are, what are you thinking at this point as to, wow, somebody really came into my home and did this to my soon-to-be wife? Yeah, At
3: that moment in time, that's kind of started thinking about Rebecca. But, but the only thing that was keeping me from, from thinking about Rebecca was the fact that I knew she was with me. So the first thing I thought was, it couldn't have been her because she was with me. So I didn't think about the whole thing about her having somebody do it till much later.
0: So Calvin, right now, you're sitting in prison for the murder of Sandra Fugate, and there are such things as people that are innocent that are put in prison. Why would you meet that criteria?
3: Well, there's, there's so many things that don't add. So the coroner arrived at the crime scene at around 2.40 p.m., and according to her coroner's report, she said rigor mortis was just beginning at 2.40 p.m., and rigor mortis usually kicks in about two to four hours after death. Of course, a lot of that depends on the temperature, and that day, I think it was in the 70s. It wasn't that bad of a day. But if you take the two to four hours off of the 2.40, you're talking between 10.40 and 12.40 that day, from 10.40 a.m. to 12.40 p.m., and that whole time, I'm on video, 90, 95, 100 miles away in Columbia, and then she actually had a, a an interview with a reporter from the Quincy Herald-Wig, and she told him, because I got a copy of the, the newspaper article, that she said the time of death was approximately one hour before police emergency personnel were called to the scene, and that call was made at 11:47 a.m. So an hour before that makes it about 10:45 a.m. I walk into the doctor's office at 10:31 in Columbia about 100 miles away. There's no way it was me. I went to the coroner. She testified at trial. She said that she had no opinion on time of death after she'd already told this reporter that. I brought it up to my lawyer about contacting this reporter, getting him to testify, and he never even talked to him. Never. Did
0: never you have a public a defender? Yes, I did. So what did the prosecutor say that you did? What evidence do they have?
3: The physical evidence that ties me to it was fingerprints on a box. They said the murder weapon was carried in. It was a long box that I I actually bought a uh, steering column for a car. So it was a real long cardboard box. And they said they found two fingerprints of mine on that box. Well, the box is mine, so of course my fingerprints are going to be on it. But they also found two palm prints on it that were never identified. And to this day, as far as I know, have still never been identified yet. But they, they don't ever mention that. I
0: don't really understand how the box has anything to... Unless it said gun label or something. No, I mean... She was was shot. Oh, a twenty-two rifle. Okay. Now the... But still... It was uh, was not
3: a handgun. It was was a rifle.
0: Yeah. Did you own any twenty-two rifles?
3: I owned a twenty-two rifle, but it was not in my possession at the time, and it was actually uh, It was actually tested, and uh, at least I'm I'm assuming they tested it. I know they went to my cousin's house and got
0: it. Here's some other stuff that seems to be crucial that I read, and you can tell me your thoughts. But Rebecca Kirk, the girl that you were... Having an affair with actually got prosecuted for evidence tampering she supposedly destroyed a rifle, ammunition and clothing of yours Yes so what's up with that
3: she told the police that I gave her a bag full of clothes, gloves and a towel I believe it was and she told me she told them that I instructed her to burn them she told them that I instructed her to tear the gun apart to burn the stock and to get rid of the barrel and then... Of course, like I said, she burnt She burnt the clothing with whatever it was. And then, you know, of course, they can't tell because all it was burnt fabric at the trial. That's all they had evidence of. Yeah. They and then she burnt a gun. The gun stock. She threw the gun barrel in some river down by Frankfurt somewhere. And then she threw these this ammunition stuff into a creek or something down somewhere near where she lived. I'm not sure whether it, where it was at, but I know it was down near where she lived in somewhere. And like I said, i thing of it is. If you're gonna go through all that trouble. Why not burn the box too?
0: Did you ever give her anything to destroy? Anything at all? No. Okay. No, nothing, no. Did the prosecutors ever present any kind of communication, like text messages between you and Rebecca, talking about Sandra?
3: I don't think they had any text messages. They had some, because I think the phone company can only go back a certain, like, three days or something like that. They had some. I think there was a text message of me, because Rebecca had told me said something about she had some stuff to do. And then I think I texted her and asked her if she got her stuff taken care of, or something like that and they they made a big deal about that. They was thinking that it was me and me trying to get around asking her if she could, you know she destroyed everything that I wanted her to. Do.
0: that was um, after the murder occurred. yeah yeah
3: Other than that I don't I, said, I don't think that they could only go back I believe it was three days I think, and I think by the time they pulled the records, it was already like the eighteenth or something like that, so they couldn't go back very far, which I wish they could have so then they I was thinking it was only like three days. They didn't have a whole lot of communication between us that I remember.
0: While Calvin stands by his alibi and questions the validity of the coroner's statements, the eyes of the law saw things differently. According to court documents, on April 15, 2010, Calvin lured Sandra into the basement of their home. In a moment of terror, Calvin shot her with his 22 rifle. After the murder, he picked up Rebecca and drove to his doctor's appointment to establish an alibi giving Rebecca orders to get rid of the gun. He then called Sandra's mother and made her find her daughter. The emotional turmoil experienced by Sandra's mother was truly traumatic and it shows a sociopathic behavior in Calvin's choice that day. Eventually, Calvin was charged with first-degree murder. The news of his arrest was a complete shock to Sandra's family. They could never believe that he would be able to commit something like this. During Calvin's trial, Rebecca became the star witness. She testified that they began their relationship in February of 2010, and Calvin wanted to break off his relationship with Sandra. However, Calvin was worried he would lose his job, or even worse, Sandra would string him up on sexual harassment charges. They then tried to scare off Sandra by writing and sending threatening notes, which she received in the mail. When that didn't work, Calvin decided the only safe way to get out of marrying her and to keep his job was to kill her. The plan was for him to shoot her and make it look like a botched robbery and they even tried once earlier than the actual date of the murder. On Easter morning 2010, they waited for Sandra to come home. The plan was for Calvin to shoot and kill Sandra and for Rebecca to shoot Calvin in the leg to make it look like a robbery, but when the plan became too real for Rebecca, she stopped Calvin from going ahead with it. Despite all of this, Calvin maintains his innocence. I wanted to know if he thought he had been wrongly convicted. We'll find out more about that after the break. A lot of stuff does point to you. And do you think that there's enough for you to be charged or you think they just got it completely wrong?
3: I just think they got it completely wrong. Of course, like I said, I'm going to be biased about it because I'm the one that's in here.
0: Sure, and I'll always admit there's definitely people out there that are wrongly convicted. I think that there's not, like, hardcore evidence on you. But I think you could see that there are a lot of stuff that points to you, especially with Rebecca being involved. Like, did she take the stand against you? Yes, she did. Did she say that you killed her? Yes,
3: she told them that I told her that I did it.
0: So Rebecca even said that you told her that you had killed your own wife or your own future wife. Yes. And I'm assuming that you didn't tell Rebecca that? No. Why would Rebecca say that? Because she she was vindictive.
3: That's the only thing I can come up with. Because for one thing, if if I were going to do something like that, the last thing I want to do is tell anybody, because that, that's the worst thing you can do. If you're ever going to do something like that, you, I mean, sure. you can't tell anybody. Sure. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's just crazy.
0: But unless you're doing it with, some, you know, and it's, you know, involved with somebody else like Rebecca, then people usually do kind of inform, and they talk about it and stuff, but... Yeah.
3: Um, I me, I already have trust issues, so I mean, was no way I would ever trust anybody with something like
0: that. Did you go to a jury trial? Yes, I did. So there's 12 people on the jury. And what does that feel like to know that they're your peers, they're the people that in your community that basically heard everything out and decided that, yes, you, you killed someone?
3: I can't blame them because they can only go by what was presented. You know, so there, there was semen found on the body. Now, that evidence was never collected. So if, you can, if, you, if they don't collect it, you can't test it. And it wouldn't have been mine. They actually found four hairs in Sandra's hand that was never compared to my DNA. There's two pieces of evidence right there that are huge. One of them was never collected. The other one was never even compared to my DNA. The state didn't do it. My own attorney didn't do it. And I wanted it tested. I told my attorney, I want that compared to my DNA.
0: Have you exhausted all your appeals? No, I
3: have one appeal left, and it's a state habeas corpus.
0: How do you feel about that?
3: And there are no words to you know, how I feel about that. It's just it is so
0: depressing to know. You probably know the statistics on how much that works and how much it doesn't. Is probably why... Yeah. Yeah, and it's very low. It's, it's, it's
3: my yeah. Because especially in the state of Missouri, once you're convicted, it is so hard. Even once, because I know people that've gotten out of prison that have been found that, that there has, have had their cases reversed. It sure. 30 and 40 years. That is insane. The system is so broken that even after they have proved that they're innocent, the state still fights to keep them in
0: prison. I agree. Our system is definitely broken in more ways than one.
3: And like I said, I mean, I, I put myself in a position to look guilty. I was having an affair strike one it was it, it happened in our home for one thing I, I already know right off the get-go if you're gonna do something like that, don't do it in your own home that, That's just stupid because automatically that that's gonna put the, the spotlight right on me right off the get-go. I know that I I've, I've seen enough shows to know because I mean I, I, I'm into crime shows you know I, I, I like to watch a lot of crime shows. The number one suspect is always going to be either the husband or the wife or you know whoever you're living with at the time, especially when that murder happens in your own home. That's just the way it is, and, and, and I don't blame them. You should look at it first, and I can see that.
0: Do you take a particular liking into any specific crime shows?
3: Oh, I mean, like watching 48 Hours. I like watching Dayline shows on cases in the past and stuff like that. I know I've
0: always I watch those as well, and I can, I can ask you this. You'll probably understand. A lot of times there's same scenarios as, as you, where the husband is blamed, they have some circumstantial evidence, he gets convicted, and he too says, "No, I'm innocent." Do you ever watch those shows and say, "I believe he is innocent," or "Nah, he just seems guilty?"
3: I've been on both sides of that. I've seen some of them shows to where some of the things they say that it just doesn't add up, and there's other things that just makes me think, "Yeah, he did
0: do it." It's interesting that Calvin mentions his love of crime shows. In fact, the story was featured in a Discovery Channel show called "Happily Never After." If you're interested in viewing the show, there is a link to it in the show notes below this episode. It's also interesting that he said he's seen enough of these shows to know the rules of the game. The spouse is almost always the first suspect, especially when the crime occurs in the home. The evidence that Calvin mentions is intriguing and paints a picture of a jiu system that might have failed him, or at least failed to be thorough as one would hope. According to him, semen found on Sandra's body was never collected for analysis and hairs discovered in her hand were never compared to his DNA. These potentially key pieces of evidence were not considered, raising questions about the integrity of the investigation. While Calvin remained steadfast in his denial, pointing fingers at Rebecca, it's interesting to note that Rebecca was convicted of evidence tampering. Despite being with Calvin at the time of the murder, her own testimony claiming that Calvin had admitted to the crime was one of the aspects that cast suspicion on him During Rebecca's trial, she insisted that she deeply regretted the choices she made and blamed it on being blinded by love. She was eventually sentenced to four years in prison. One of the most intriguing elements I would like to explore further is Calvin's relationship with Sandra's mother. Given that she was the one to discover Sandra's body and break the devastating news to Calvin, their dynamic is undoubtedly fraught with tension and emotion. It begs the question, What would Calvin say to her and the rest of Sandra's family if given the chance? Would he continue to maintain his innocence or offer some form of closure, a plea for understanding, or even an apology for the circumstances, however innocent he claims to be? So you said that whenever you got to the house where Sandra's body was, you gave your mother-in-law a hug. How's that relationship now? No, she hasn't spoken to me since then. Does she think you did it? No.
3: the police said, you know told her about all about the affair and all the you know, since they arrested me.
0: Have you ever gotten any kind of hate mail?
3: Oh, no, no, I'm not in here. I haven't, no. I've no. never received anything like that. There were some threatening letters that I got when I was before the murder, but I don't even know if that really had anything to do with it or not. It was brought up during the trial.
0: Would it be against DOC policy for you to reach out to the mother in law?
3: I think there's rules about reaching out to
0: the victims, yeah, the victims' family.
3: There, there are rules against that. I mean, you have to, you can do it, but you have to be able to like contact. I think I guess the warden or the front of the administration write a letter, and then they, I guess, they will contact them to see if they even want the letter sent to them or anything. Something like that. I've I, I really never checked into it. but I know there's some kind of rules against it that, that it can be done, but there's yeah. So that have to be done. You need to
0: get it done. Yeah. So if your future, almost mother-in-law, however you want to put it, was listening to this. What would you want to tell her?
3: And I am very sorry for what happened to Sandra. She, she had a little nine-year-old daughter. I would never do anything to take a mother away from her child, ever. Sandra was a, she was a good woman, and I feel responsible for it because I had the affair that I believe caused it, and I had the affair that caused Sandra her life.
0: You think Rebecca knew someone to be able to get that done for her?
3: I am almost 100% positive. You, I just don't know who. I wish I didn't.
0: Do you have an idea who?
3: I thought I had an idea, but they said he had an alibi.
0: Most people don't know who they can just turn to to get somebody whacked, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's pretty...
3: Uh, she, had, she had a guy that would almost do anything for her. He was, he was head over heels for her, and his name was Alan Jefferson, I believe. I believe was his name. From what I understand, I believe they said he had a, a, uh, an alibi.
0: It's interesting that Calvin mentions the possibility of Rebecca paying someone to kill Sandra. While his accusations are complete speculation, there was one other individual investigated as part of this case, Roger Boyle. A man that Sandra was flirting with before she met Calvin. Sandra let him know that she had to end things when she met Calvin, and in response, Roger proposed to her. Sandra told him to leave her alone, but he kept on trying to get in contact with her. Could he have been the one who tried to rip Sandy away from Calvin? Roger was questioned by police, but was found to be working during the time of the murder an alibi that was confirmed by his co workers. Calvin was sentenced to life in prison without parole for killing his fiancee. His perception of this was that he had no voice or no ability to stop this wedding, but he could have done this. In some strange way, he decided to kill her to get his freedom. A very tragic ending. On April 20th, 2010, Sandra was buried in her hometown of Hannibal, Missouri. Sandra will forever be remembered as full of life, and part of her will always live on in her daughter, Hannah. Sandra's family and friends surround her with protection and will always remind her how much of a good mom she was. Before we said goodbye, I wanted to know how he was dealing with his life sentence, and considering his stance on his innocence, I wanted to know if Calvin had anything to say to the one person who could exonerate him, Rebecca Kirk. You got life without parole? Yeah. How do you feel about the fact that you're going to die in prison?
3: I hate it. I got kids out there, I got grandkids out there. They took my life away from me. I wasn't able to watch my kids grow up. I'm not able to watch my grandkids grow up. Of course, my, the two older ones, my stepkids, they were already pretty much grown when this happened. My my youngest son, the one that me and my ex-wife had together, he was only 11 at the time. And it just it, it, it's bad all the way around for everybody involved. They lost their daughter, their mother. I mean, her daughter lost her mother. Yeah. Uh, she has sisters. It's just and my God, if I could go back and change everything, I told you I would, man. It's just I feel horrible. I had an affair that cost a woman her life, and I absolutely feel horrible about that. But in the same breath, there, there is a difference between being an adulterer and a murderer. I have never in my life ever thought about murdering somebody. That is a huge thing to do. You are taking away something that can never, ever be brought back.
0: So after this habeas is done and the probability of it just not going through, how are you going to resolve yourself to the rest of your life in prison?
3: I'm just going to have to deal with it the best I can until something comes up that exonerates me or I'm just going to have to make the best of whatever situation I'm in.
0: And how is that situation now for you in there?
3: It's, I guess as far as friends goes, it's all right. I got a job. I make over $100 a month, which I mean, ain't nothing sure. for, for people. I don't agree to hear that. Yeah, I understand. But in here, $100 a month it stops me from having to ask my family or what what family I talk to or what few friends I have out there that are on my side. It stops me from having to ask them for money. And yeah. that's the one thing I don't want to do is be a burden on somebody on the outside. Yeah. So I have a job. I take care of myself the best I can.
0: Sure. So how would you feel if you saw your story on the ID channel, Discovery, or whatever?
3: I guess it would be, it can work both ways. It can be good and bad. It just depends on what light they put you in. Because I know they can edit it to where they can make it look any way they want. I know, that, I know they can do that with shows. I'm not stupid. Sure. They can edit it where they want. But I guess the publicity would be good in some extent, because it might, it might help me get a, an attorney, or maybe somebody might say, you well, know, that, that doesn't sound right, or sure. some people may, may say think the same thing. Yeah, I think you did do it. Right. There somebody people somebody on both of the fence.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like you stay pretty safe in there in prison?
3: Oh, yeah. Not all. I don't have any problems with anybody. I sound pretty good-sized fellas, and so nobody messes with me. And then, of course, I treat everybody with respect.
0: How big and, are you? I'm,
3: I'm six foot four and 310 pounds. Yeah. You know, you know that it's all about respect. As long as you respect people and you stay debt-free, you, know, you don't want to be going million trying to get in debt with anybody. because that that's that cause of I don't, I don't get in debt with nobody. I, I make my own way, and that's it.
0: Yeah.
3: I don't borrow from nobody. I don't don't say, hey, can I get this till store day? Well, I, I may do that occasionally, box boxer or something, but I give it right back to them. <laughs> right. I right. give it right back to them right away. And yeah. I'm not in, I'm not in drugs. I don't have to worry about that in here. I don't mess around with nothing it's illegal in here. I just, I do what I got to do. I say to myself most of the time and when I want to talk to people I'm, I'm respectful
0: yeah if Rebecca Kirk heard this podcast what would you want to tell her if you could tell her
3: uh, I would tell her just tell the truth that she ain't going to do that because then they going to put her right back in here again if they didn't make a deal with her which I'm pretty sure that probably happened too. but I would just tell her you know I hope she's happy with what, the way, way everything's turned out then you know she knows the truth I know the truth I know I didn't do it And bottom line, when it comes down to it, that's the reason I am perfectly at peace with wherever I'm at, because I know I didn't do it. If I had to spend the rest of my life in prison, then so be it. But I know I'm in here for a crime I did not commit, and there is nothing that ever again. If they told me I could walk out tomorrow, if I just admitted that I did it, I wouldn't go, because I'm not going to admit to something I didn't do for no reason. I'm not going to do it. I will stay in here and die in here before I tell them I did it.
0: Calvin, I hope that whatever the truth is, I hope that's what gets revealed. Hopefully, before 30, 40
3: years is up, I'll see you whenever I
0: can get it. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you giving me your time. I hope everything works out uh, the way it should. All right, man. Talk to you later. All right. Thank you. Yep. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. On the next episode of Voices of a Killer. So, did the prosecutors try to claim that you, like, snuck more drugs into a system some kind of way?
1: Hey, they acted like that I came up behind him with a loaded syringe and stuck him in the neck. That is what they acted like. To me, I considered him as a friend, and I believe he considered me as a friend, too. It was more than just him paying for sex. Was it a pimp? It was a woman, but you can call her something like that.
0: What was a method that you would use to usually rob them?
1: Whenever you're a drug addict, you will do literally whatever you have to do to make sure you have your next fix.
0: That's a wrap on this episode of Voices of a Killer. I want to thank Calvin for sharing his story with us today. His ability to be open and honest is what makes this podcast so special. If you would like to listen to the raw recordings of these interviews, you can visit patreon.com slash Voices of a Killer. By becoming a patron, you can access not only this, but hours of bonus recordings, correspondence, and you can contribute to the way the show is produced. A big shout out to Sonic Futures, who handle the production, audio editing, music licensing, and promotion of this podcast. If you want to hear more episodes like this one, make sure to visit our website at voicesofakiller.com. There you can find previous episodes, transcripts, and additional information about the podcast. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your feedback helps us improve and reach new listeners. Thank you for your support, and we can't wait to share more stories with you in the future. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Toby, and we'll see you next time on Voices of a Killer. Hey listeners, Toby here. We have a special announcement just for you. Voices of a Killer is launching its very own Patreon page, an exclusive platform that allows you to dive even deeper into the darkest corners of these gripping tales. By becoming a patron, you'll gain access to a wealth of exciting bonus content and behind-the-scenes exclusives that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Picture this. At our lowest tier, you can have access to further content with exclusive letters, photos and correspondence that have never been seen by the public before at our producer tier you will have the opportunity to engage with the team participate in q a polls and receive updates on upcoming episodes and developments this tier is perfect for those who have a keen interest in the production process and want to be a part of shaping the show's future you'll also have your name read at the end of our latest episodes how cool! At the next tier, you'll have all this and the opportunity to join in our once-in-a-month video chat Q&A session with me, the host, and our production team, allowing you to engage directly with the creators and further satisfy your curiosity. And for our premium tier, you'll have all this and the ability to listen to exclusive unedited raw interviews to really hear the true voices of our podcasts. So if you're ready to unlock a world of extra content, head over to patreon.com slash Voices of a Killer now and choose the tier that best suits your craving for true crime. Your support will not only fuel our passion for storytelling, but also enable us to bring you even more thrilling narratives and the voices that are waiting to be heard on Voices of a Killer.